Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies that some of us thought were cool. I'm your host, Farron, a grizzled Cold War veteran who's looking to make trouble while drunk out of his skull. And I'm joined by Heather, a Soviet commander who's just not taking my shit. Hello. <laughs> I wish I could remember how to say hello in, in Russian. In Russian. Is that something you actually knew at one point? Uh, at one time, yeah, I used to know. Yeah, hello, goodbye, <laughs> thank you, please. Uh. Yeah, I learned that from Cold War films. I've got bits and pieces, but that's about it. Uh, yeah, so we are doing a movie called The Fourth War, which premiered on the 23rd of March, 1990. And it was directed by John Frankenheimer, who's kind of a big deal. He did The Iceman Cometh, which is a Eugene O'Neill play. Uh, he did Seven Days in May, which is an excellent Kirk Douglas and... Uh, Burt Lancaster film about an attempted coup in the United States. He did the original Manchurian Candidate with Frank Sinatra. He did the Birdman of Alcatraz. So he's done some serious stuff. It was written by Stephen Peters and Kenneth Ross based on Stephen Peters' novel. Though, frankly, he apparently he wrote the novel with the intention that it would be made into a movie. So it's one of those. And it's got quite the cast. It stars Roy Scheider. Jürgen Prochnow, who we've already seen as Duke Leto Atreides in the 1984 version of Dune. Tim Reed, who you might remember from WKRP in Cincinnati. He played Venus Flytrap. And Harry go. Dean Stanton. And it was rated R. And here's the neat thing. It was filmed in my backyard. I just learned this today. It was filmed in Alberta. Which no way. Was a, yeah. And it's funny because I'm not sure if you remember the 88 Winter Olympics. We had trouble with snow. I, I we didn't do. have any. I imported yeah. it. Yeah, we imported it and we had snow <laughs> machines. It was quite funny. And I'll, the production I'll company imported snow. I know, I know, right? Like I we're, remember, we're, yeah. We're, we're 45 minutes from the mountains. We had to import snow because Calgary's weather is questionable. So they were really worried about that. It turned out they didn't have to because the following winter it was 40 below zero Celsius. So that caused its own production problems. <laughs> um, yeah, the movie cost 22 million dollars to make, and despite being well-reviewed across the board for 22 million bucks. They made $1.3 million. I can Ouch. see why. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I get it. You know, my theory is people were sick of watching cold war movies coming out in 1990. The Soviet union fell sort of collapsed at the end of that year, but you know, it wasn't quite that bad, but this is one of these movies that I had seen the trailer for and then promptly forgot about it. I don't know why I just never got around to seeing it, but it looked cool. And then I, it occurred to me, you know, like five years ago, yeah, yeah I'll find this movie. And I, I quite dug it. I, I really enjoyed it. You, on the other hand, I think have a different opinion. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not a huge army movie, military movie fan. Like I, they're not really my style. Right. But I watched a bunch of them. I had the, I had a dad. He would have loved this. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he would have, he would have identified with both of them. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Um, so what uh, but, was it specifically about it yeah. you didn't like? Was it something in particular or just the whole damn experience? I, okay, so I didn't hate all of it. Some yeah. of it kind of was okay. Um, okay. But I'd say like the first 35 minutes, mm -hmm. it's formulaic kind of rushed it's like failed marriage check alcoholic check buddy check give him yeah. a, another try 
it's a yeah. Cold War military movie. And, yeah. and then there were some cool helicopter bits and and then it got a little bit better and then it was over and it it, it felt like an hour and a half lead up just huh. to give us the Einstein quote. Like it it it, it honestly goodness, my dad was famous for like shaggy dog store. Like he would talk for an hour and then the punchline would be really stupid. Oh yeah, shaggy shaggy dog. It's shaggy dog stories, right. It it felt like that. Like it's it was an hour and a half to tell me an Einstein quote. Like why don't why don't you just tell me the Einstein quote? And it's, fun, it, it's funny because yeah. they didn't like it. No one liked the name of the movie. They were going to call it Men of Honor and Face Off. And they, those are a couple ideas they threw around. They went with the Fourth War. Um, and it's funny because I found it very subversive. Because when I saw the trailer, I thought this was going to be like a macho war film. You know, two hardcore warriors going at it. And I found that it was subversive because everyone in the movie thinks they're all so goddamn awesome. Like there's sort of a narration throughout the film of Harry Dean Stanton's character, this general Hackworth, I think his name is testifying. And he thinks it's hilarious what happened. And he makes a lot of jokes and everyone laughs with them. And Oh, isn't it also funny? Now there isn't a classroom from here to Fort Benning that teaches a course on the art of defeat. Is there? <laughs> so the army's answer was to put him in mothballs. Assignments so far out of the way, you couldn't find them on a map. But when we met last summer, he had done an about face, and from every indication, he had his shit together. <laughs> so I gave him command of Camp Clayton. But this guy almost started a goddamn war, and he's a loser. Like, it's not, there are not many movies where the protagonist is, in fact, the villain of the film. But Colonel Knowles is the bad guy here. Like he's the villain. And I think that kind of subverts our expectations. We expect him to be the hero when really Colonel Valachev, the guy on the other side, the Jurgen Prochnow character, he's just not taking this shit. Like he's just, he's fed up with this, this drunken asshole who keeps crossing the border and causing trouble. And he just, he's not having it. And yeah. I just, I found that interesting that the good guys are the Russians here, despite giving us the setup that he may be, the bad guy because they shoot a guy you know they're they're not the bad guys yeah, it's, it's Knowles. they both suck i mean i liked i liked the russian better yeah oh he's an asshole too especially the way you know the, the games he plays with this woman who unsurprisingly turns out to be a, a russian officer acting yeah. as a spy but you know i i think uh i think if it were made today they'd play more into the fact that this russian is just not having it with his gung-ho American asshole. Yeah. Well, there's, but they, um, there's the part where his buddy comes and, and, and flies in to give him crap, right? Yeah. With the, with the, with the uh, begat speech. Yeah. And he says, you know, you guys are the same. You got screwed up in Vietnam. You got screwed up in Afghanistan. So they're both, like, they're both just washed up jerks in the middle of nowhere. Only one of them is willing to stand there and do his job and not start a war, and the other one is fucking nuts and is, is trying to. Yeah, and it's and uh, oh yeah, they're, they're uh, both pricks. It's just I don't know. I think I found more of a difference between Knowles and Valachev, but uh, yeah, I uh, obviously I liked it a little more than you did. 
again, I like the subversive nature of it that I, you know, if you watch the trailer and I'll, I'll loop it in. Somewhere in Eastern Europe, a battle is about to begin. It's not East versus West. Look, it's the fact they're making a run for it. Nor us against them. No, sir! It's two proud heroes with no one left to fight but each other. It's different now, Jack. Things have changed and you better change too. I've learned to play on the white keys and the black keys. Now I'm expected to play in the cracks. Colonel Knowles crossed that border because he was looking to get even. Problem. My name is Jack Knowles. You'll remember that when you report this to your Colonel Valachev. Men of war. In a time of peace. Good evening. You come over the border one more time. I, personally, will kill you. I will not tolerate two malcontents who think they have the right to start their own private little grudge war when the rest of us are in danger of being turned into French fries. They're fighting for the only thing they have left to believe in. Roy Scheider, Jürgen Prognau, in a John Frankenheimer film, The Fourth War. It makes it seem like he's such, you know, they're, they're these two macho assholes going after each other. But in the movie itself, Valachev really only starts pushing back when he has no choice. Yeah. You know? Like the first time Knowles crosses the border, it's just stupid. Like yeah. he he risks a lot, but no one gets hurt. He cuts a fence. I think he breaks a sensor. That's it. But the second time, what he does is an act of war. You know, and it's funny. I, there's another movie I've seen, and I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it it's, it's a South Korean film about the same thing, mm. about an incident to the DMZ, and it's like you got to wonder how many times in these like in in these these real situations, how often some junior soldier says or does something really stupid and you wind up with two commanding officers standing on opposite sides of the border going, yeah, your guy's an asshole. And the guy goes, yeah, he is. We're I dealing know. With so, yeah. You know, like, like that's got it. Like someone, you know, someone in the U S state department has got to have a file, you know, yeah. the, ass the asshole file. All the time, some asshole almost started World War III, but thankfully the senior officers put a stop to it before it wound up a shooting war. But they both escalated. Like They do. Knowles goes across and and has his birthday party. In retaliation, Russian guy blows up his Jeep and makes him walk home at minus 40. In retaliation, he blows up a... a watch post. I mean, it's... Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about the Jeep. And, um, and and the Russian guy started it with his helicopter stunt. Yeah, but the helicopter, I mean, they came up to the border, but no further. Even he's pissed off with the soldiers, which we'll get to when we go through. Like, it's clear he doesn't want yeah. to escalate stuff, but he's 
it's it's very easy for him to take the bait. Yeah, he does. He does. He, uh, they're they're yeah. Yeah. This is a movie that needed another rewrite. And I think they yes. needed to make Valachev more identifiable. Like, had he been a little more level-headed, I think this would have come off better. But no one saw the damn film. I mean, it was well-reviewed. Uh, and even on Rotten Tomatoes, it did pretty well for itself. But $1.3 million? Oh, my God. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't even pay the caterer. No, that's like, brutal. Well, I, I, look, I yeah. looked it up on Box Office Mojo. And they always give the opening weekend, and it's fucking amazing. It was um, the opening, the domestic opening, which is always the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, $776,449. That's devastating. Ouch. That's how much, which means no one went and saw it. And I I wonder how much of that is, is just people didn't want to see another Cold War movie about the Ruskies. What was it up again? Against? Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this movie came out on March 23rd, 1990. Well, on March tw- on March 2nd, 1990, The Hunt for Red October came out. On March 9th, House Party came out. Pretty Woman came out the same day as this one. The following week, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out, which I may not like, but someone liked it. And Dances with Wolves came out the following week as well. So this movie just didn't stand a chance. It, it really didn't. I, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised that it just didn't make a ton of money at all. But that I'm, opening weekend, yeah. you know, $776,000 for that first weekend. But I guess if you're going to a movie and you want to watch a Cold War movie, are you going to watch this sketchy looking thing because it looks like just another gung-ho film? Or are you going to watch a Tom Clancy movie? Yeah. I'm I'm going to see Red October every time. Yeah. And oh, it's a, I can't believe we haven't done that film yet. It's such an amazing movie. But yeah, this was just bad timing. If this had come out a month earlier or a couple months later, I think it probably would have done much better because it was well-reviewed. But again, you're going to the movie theaters and you see Hunt for an October or this, go figure. You know, yeah. I was just going nowhere. So that's unfortunate because it has an excellent cast. Roy Scheider, I don't think I've ever seen anything he did that I didn't enjoy. Uh, Jurgen Proch now, I love him. I think he's a great actor. Tim Reed, I really like him. I'm going through WKRP in Cincinnati now, and he's really good as Venus Flytrap. And Harry Dean Stanton, I don't mind him. He tends to play weird characters, hippie characters, drunks, that sort of thing. So here it's kind of interesting to see him play the most straight-laced person in the bunch. But, yeah. you know, whatever. So so let's go through this quickly, very quickly. And, uh, you know, take a look. So it starts off with... a. Uh, you know, this Porsche uh, driving through the German countryside or the Alberta countryside, one or the other. Uh, we see, you know, it's heroic music and the, the the guy behind the wheel, which we'll learn is Knowles. He puts on his aviator glasses because, of course, he does. The music is by Bill Conti. He's kind of a 1970s and 80s standard. This guy drives up to a military post. He gives some dumbass hardcore lecture about the, you know, the salute. Let me see a proper one. Do you know what they're for? That was a bad start. Let's be honest. That was a bad start. He might as well have announced himself as a Hollywood cold warrior. Like right there. That that's not a great start, but he, you know, he drives in, he encounters Lieutenant Colonel Clark played by Tim Reed, of course, announces himself. Yes. West point class of 1970. I, I don't know whether this is a, a movie thing or a real thing that people who who went to Annapolis or West Point always want you to know what class they were in. I don't really get that. Yeah. 
they're clearly both losers, which is why they're there. Yeah, I guess. I guess. So immediately he decides to go out and patrol in the West German countryside or Alberta, whichever you want to go with. Um, <laughs> and like the idea is that this is on the West German border with Czechoslovakia. Uh, and as they point out, it's more of a public relations thing because at this point, you know, Czechoslovakians are allowed to go into Austria and so forth and so on. And they come across a border and it's pretty damn clear. There's two sets of pylons. One is blue, one is red. Blue is the, you know, the, the German border. Red is the Czechoslovakian border. There's a no man's land between them. The, the Czech soldiers are allowed into it. The Americans are not. And that seems weird. Why are the Americans guarding West Germany, and what the hell is West Germany? Well, kiddies who are under the age of 40, Germany used to be divided in half between, you know, a, de a democratic West and a communist East. And frankly, the British, French, and Americans divided it up between them and helped guard it. So, yeah. So there, there's, there's, the, there's the Cold War lesson for our, our listeners. Up until now, it seems like a pretty, I don't know, standard movie. Like, there's nothing unexpected going on the soldiers look like your standard cross-section of there's the black dudes and there's the hicks and meh okay so they come across the border and they spot uh, a defector running through a field he is chased down by czechoslovakian border guards have you ever heard the story about the russian pencil i have not yet the anecdote that NASA spent millions of dollars developing a ballpoint pen that could write in space and the Russians used a pencil. You ever heard that one? <laughs> yeah. It, no, it turns out like it's it. not. Yeah. It turns out it's not true, but the moral of that story is that the Russians are pragmatic. They don't need to spend a ton of money when the obvious answer is usually the best. So here like the Czech soldiers who are, you know, like they're, you know, Czechoslovakia was a communist nation. Obviously it's, it's, not really there anymore. Just like Americans guarded the borders in a lot of Western countries, so, you know, Soviets guarded a lot of Eastern Bloc countries. But here it's the Czech soldiers, and they're just on horseback. I love that. Like it's just no high tech tracked vehicles. Like they're just they're on horseback. They got AK 47s. It totally works. It does. And in fact, I would argue it works better than what the Americans are using because the first thing we see with the Americans driving on that personnel carrier is the damn thing breaks down. Um, <laughs> the, the horse's fuel line does not freeze up. Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Things can get worse considering it was 40 below zero Celsius when they made this movie. That had oh. to suck for the horses. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, we see a, a Soviet helicopter come into view. And just as the, the Czech defector gets right near the border, they kill him. Helicopter comes right up to the border. Jack Knowles, this colonel, orders one of his men to pull out a, an anti-aircraft missile and have a lock on him. The helicopter uh, sort of backs off, lands, and out comes uh, Valachev. And, I mean, Jurgen Proch now, you know, for someone listening to this who's never looked him up, you should absolutely Google that, Google his face, because he looks, he looks like 50 miles of bad road. Like, no matter what he does, no matter how much they dress this actor up, he always looks like a grizzled veteran of something. He really fits the part. He's a character actor. He's very good. But... And this is where you start to realize that Knowles is kind of a loser. <laughs> like, I mean, they've already told us that. They've already told us he's a, he's a jackass in the, the voiceover testimony, which takes place after the film. But like this guy, he orders his soldiers to lock and load. He tells the one guy to prepare to engage a helicopter with a missile. Like, I don't know about you, but I've never been on a border, but I can't help but think that's a little questionable. It's just a big dick measuring contest. 
It is. I mean, but... if, if somebody threatened me with a helicopter at the very edge of the border, I'm right out and aim a missile at them. <laughs> Fuck you, buddy. And it's, and it's funny because they don't aim anything. Like, it's not clear that the uh, helicopter's doing anything other than just buzzing them. It's clearly a provocation. It's like, yeah, I dare you to shoot at me. But, you know, at the same time, it, it, it seems more like a back off buddy sort of move. Like, you know, this is happening in our territory. Yeah, we shot the guy, but that's not your problem. And Move of course, along. The, this is our business. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, the first thing, I mean, to be fair, the first thing Valachev says when he gets out of the helicopter is that this was unnecessary. Get that body out of there. So he's just as upset with the Czech soldiers as the Americans are, though I don't think he cares so much whether the guy got shot, just that yeah. it was done in full sight of the Americans. And poorly. They didn't follow the rules of engagement. Well, that I'm not so. I mean, I don't know what the rules of engagement were, but. I mean, if Tim Reed's character knows that it's all about public relations, surely the other side knows that too. Yeah. Like, it, it, they didn't have to dick around with him first. And they, that's they, made the thing. It, they, they put on a show. Yeah, they, they tortured the guy. They knocked him around. They, you know, yeah, not cool. At one point, Knowles pulls out his, you know, his pistol. He's convinced to put it away. So he throws a fucking snowball at Valachev. <laughs> And he misses him, but hits the red star on the uh, on the helicopter. So Valachev throws one back at him and beans him with it. <laughs> I caught so, it. Well, he did, but it would have beaned him. But in it the would face. have beaned him, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, um, and how much of it is because when Knowles arrives on base, he gives this speech about how all these new soldiers haven't been tested in combat. Yeah, that seems part of it. Like, it's clear this guy is like this old cold warrior. He's been to Vietnam, all that sort of stuff. He's all hardcore and shit. Um, you know, the funny thing is, is that it's based on this premise that the military would allow a guy like this anywhere near a front line. Yeah, no. Like, <laughs> yes, Gen no General Hacksaw or Hacksworth or Hackysack or whatever his name is, Harry Dean Stanton's character. It's clear he was trying to give him one last hurrah to sort of salvage his career. Because as we learn, this guy has been lousy everywhere he's gone. Like, this guy hasn't had a positive note in his personnel file since, like, Vietnam. Yeah. You know, so he spent 15 years being a loser. But I can't help but think that a soldier like that being issued orders to go there, like someone above him would have said, wait, no, stop. No, I don't care if this general wants him. We can't send him to the front lines. Like that's a, that's a world war three waiting to happen. He's, um, he's going to be in a closet with a pen. Yeah, pretty much. Um, like, so it's sort of based off of a, like I had a false premise that this simply wouldn't happen. Like, yes, every military has its, you know, shit that didn't happen. Look what's happening with the Canadian military. I mean, Right now, being the chief of defense staff is like being the the drummer for Spinal Tap. I mean, how many <laughs> chiefs of defense? At this point, they should call for a show of hands. Raise your hand if you're not currently under uh, investigation for some sort of sexual impropriety. You? Okay, come on over, buddy. You get to be in charge. Like, so yeah, so armies have their problems. But the U.S. military by this point was pretty well run. And I can't help but think that someone would have said, yeah, no, look at this guy's file. He's a fire. He's a drunken firefight waiting to happen, which funny, I should say that because you know, that's going to happen. They go back to base. He is immediately sent to Stuttgart, which is where his army division is run out of. I have no idea whether they actually filmed it there or not. I, I couldn't tell you. I'd be curious to know, but I don't care enough to look it up. But, yeah. So this is where we learn that 
uh, because, you know, this is where he meets Harry Dean Stanton's character. And it's obvious they're old friends. Again, another cliche, but I'm pretty sure that most, you know, most colonels out there know a few generals. How could you not when you're that high up? Because chances are you, you came through the ranks with these people. And we learn a few things, including that Tim Reed's character, Lieutenant Colonel Clark, is spying on him yeah. and sending reports. And that Noel's buddy, the general, is the one who has him doing it. How are you, Roger? Okay, Jack. What about you? Here we go again. Damn near started World War III out there. Serious allegations have been filed. They tag you as an irresponsible malcontent. May I see that report, sir? Hell no. Shredding it. The one that got you this assignment, remember? And you assured me you can handle it, goddammit. So now the general is just as much to blame as Knowles is because he's suppressing this because what do you think? I mean, I don't know. I, th I think of my time in the military, Knowles would have been not allowed to return to base. Like he would have been, his career would have been over after the, the incident we just talked about. Yeah. The, the snowball, he's RTU. Goodbye. Yeah. That's my biggest problem with this. It's an hour and a half shaggy dog story on a false premise. Yeah. Yeah. As, and as cool as some of the fight scenes were, it's not worth my time. And it's funny because it wasn't the fight scenes I cared about. I find I don't like I'm the guy who watched End War and just waited for the, you know, like Avengers Endgame or whatever it was called. And I didn't care about the fights like at all. They're boring to me. It's the drama that interested me. And here they never really sell you on the idea that this general would risk his own career and, you know, World War Three for his buddy especially after the incident that just happened. Yeah. They never sell you on that. Oh, you, sa you saved my life a bunch of times in Vietnam. Okay, how? Like, where is the interesting story about how that happened, as opposed yeah. to a story about him waking up with a bronze star and going whatever? Like, that's, Lame. Yeah. you know. I would have liked stories about both of them, because I was marginally curious about the, the Russian. Yeah, it would have been more interesting, but we never really see much about him. I mean, we see interactions with some of his officers, like 30 seconds here talking about American football and a few seconds there talking about Politburo members who come to visit. They're like senators. But yeah, we never really learn about him. And he seems the more interesting character. He does. Um, like if you're going to make a movie about a mono a mono conflict, we have to know about both characters or one of them has to be like a monster. Yeah. But neither of them are. Valachev's a dick. Knowles is a class A one loser who should be, you know, stripped of his of his commission and sent home. And it just, I don't know. I, I, I'm liking it less the more I talk to you about <laughs> Sorry. it. Damn you. I'm, I'm, and I'm my mother loved this story. movie, by the way. My Did mother she? loved this movie. She thought it was fabulous. She likes different things than I do. That's for sure. So the next scene is at a, a wedding uh, between, I think it's two Americans, but it's, I mean, the you know, standard thing. She's in her white dress. The groom's in his uniform. But it's a nice German wedding, and all the officers are there. And Knowles comes in and hunts down Reed. <laughs> Many happy returns, Colonel. What does that mean? It's your birthday, sir. Had you forgotten? How did you know that? Well, this is the date you were born, sir. Yes, I know that. But how the hell did you know it? Sir, with all due respect, maybe we can discuss this later. I want to know now. I happen to see it in your 201 file. You're snooping in my 201 file. I wasn't snooping. You damn well were. You filed a report on me and you sent it to division headquarters, didn't you? So not only is he has he got some judgment issues, he's paranoid as hell. Yeah. There's no paranoia, dude. Your buddy told you 
that your second in command was watching you. He told you this. It's the I scene agree. is like from a different draft of the film. Yeah. Like you it's know, you're it, you're I, on a trial assignment. Yes, you're going to be reported on. Yeah, it's uh it's interesting. And, you know, eventually the locals tell these guys, like, guys, can you take this outside? We're, ha- we're having a wedding here. Um, it's kind of funny because the two, like, the two best people in this are, well, the best guy in this whole film is Lieutenant Colonel Clark, the, the second in command. He's the only one who has a head on his shoulders. Um, <laughs> and with Valachev coming in on the good guy scale in second place, and holy shit, that's a gap between first and second place. Because the general's an idiot. And Knowles is a nightmare. So Knowles goes out and uh, uh, goes to a birthday supply shop, which apparently is available in this this tiny little German town. So he goes back to his room. He gets shit-faced drunk. He calls his older son, who clearly doesn't like him and thinks he's a fascist because, well, he kind of is. He complains that his younger son had a bike stolen from him. Why didn't he stand up for himself? You know, all the reasons that make you realize there's a reason his wife has left him and hasn't even spoken to him in a few years. Um, You know, this film does still have that subversive quality to it, that this is the standard cold warrior. His wife left him because he's married to the job. He's gutsy. He was a hero. You know, he's had a hard life since. But in movies like that, you expect these guys to redeem themselves. But this guy pulls out his army issue shovel and just goes to town digging himself, you know, six feet, 12 feet, 18 feet deep. It, it's kind of Im- impressive. It's kind of actually a little bit epic of just how much of a crater he creates for himself in his career. Yeah, it, It's really something else. He just threw it over and over. Oh, over and over. Like he, he locks up his vehicle in a, in some barn somewhere. He hooks himself up with all sorts of, you know, the webbing and the rifle and the whole nine yards. And, and he's still drinking from his flask. So he is just shit faced. Uh, that's the technical army term, I believe. I get one of them. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one we can use on, on, on the podcast. He, you know, the interesting thing about this is I keep wondering to myself why it is they chose to film in the winter because filming in the winter it's limiting because people can't move as much. It's harder to move equipment. It's harder to film. The actors are fighting with the snow as well as everything else. Like I'm not sure what, I'm honestly not sure what the advantage of, of having this in the winter was. You know what yeah, I mean? No, like, I don't know what it added. Yeah. How much money was spent dealing with the cold. And it, it didn't add to the story at all. No. Uh, at all. And, and honest to God, they could have filmed the whole thing in the summer. It would have not made a difference other than the fact that he's wearing white camo because it's winter, but that's it. Well, you know, and he, he threw than, a snowball. That's, that's, a that's, that's a lot of trouble to go do for a snowball. And a line about a uh, frozen fuel line. Yeah. But those yeah. could have been changed. It, it's just, it's weird. Army, so anyway, Army he, trucks break in the summer too. A lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, do we still use those things, the M113s? I'm sure we, I'm sure we got rid of those a long time ago. No, we, we, we got rid of those a while ago. Yeah. We got ones well, that the these days. Yeah, the, the, uh, the Vietnam era M113 was always a death trap, but in any case. So he sort of trundles through the snow up to the border, which is just a pl- your standard plastic mesh fence. He cuts through it. He comes across like a sensor on the border. He fucks around with it. The Russians come out on one of their their BMP, whatever they are, BMP-7 or BMP-9s, whatever. It's an armored personnel carrier. Comes out to check them out, these three soldiers. And there's Knowles, drunk as a skunk, who holds them at gunpoint. 
makes him put on party hats and sing happy birthday to him. He's shit-faced drunk. But what I really like about the scene is that these soldiers are just young, dumb conscripts. Same as the sol- same as the American soldiers from earlier. Yeah, um, I like that part. And they're terrified of this drunken asshole. Like, <laughs> yeah, this guy's nuts. Yeah, but the thing is that they're not hardcore, evil, commie, ruskies. Ah, ha, ha. No, they're just three kids who probably hate being there just as much as the Americans who've been sent there are just as miserable. And I really like that, but they don't, again, that's another thing. They just don't play up as much as they should. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And we, we seem to say that a lot for a bunch of this era movies is they, they didn't spend enough time. They yeah, should have made it 15, 15 minutes longer and, you know, told some of the story. Yeah, we talked about this with, uh, in fact, in fact, you brought this very same point up the last time we hit this, which was uh, our it? last episode, oh, uh, Fred Night. Uh, no, no, no. It's like, but it's a good point that it's a pattern we're starting to see that some of these movies get lazy. You know, they don't tell us what we need to know. Because you look at some of the great films that come out of the era, Raiders of the Lost Ark or Amadeus, like we've done some amazing films, even crazy yeah. shit like Dune. And they take the time to tell you what you need to know. Though with Dune, that's a losing cause. I mean, let's be honest. But okay, that's... You know. <laughs> by the way, yeah, I just luck. found out that the director was in that movie. David Lynch what? had a. He was the um, the guy running the spice harvester. Sire, we can't leave all this spice. That was the director. I just learned that today. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. yeah, that's weird. But anyway, back to this film we're doing. There's so much missing from this film. It's like. He, it's like the, the the writers wanted to make this macho Cold Warrior film and then decided to make it subversive instead, but never got the whole way there. And so it's kind of this weird Frankenstein's monster that does nothing well. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he he makes these guys sing happy birthday and he says, let's blow out the candles. And he pulls a grenade on a or pulls a pin on a grenade, uh, throws it. They hit the deck. It explodes and he's gone. And the next day we see Valachev. You know, sort of checking it out in these poor soldiers. They, it's neat. At first, I thought, "Oh man, do, do I, like do I not have the subtitle file for this?" And then I realized, "No, no, they show subtitles later, so you're not actually meant to hear what these three soldiers are telling the like their sergeant." But it's pretty clear they're freaked out. Like, you know, I, I almost <laughs> wish I could find the subtitles, which is probably this fucking drunken lunatic came at us with birthday hats. It, it, yeah. it was just funny. It's actually the best scene in the film. Yeah, them, them trying to explain what happened was was excellent. Yeah, the whole the whole thing with the drunken of, soldiers. I, got, I had a lot of fun in that one. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing where he actually does it is funny, and then the next morning trying to explain what the fuck is going on. And apparently that wasn't the only thing he did that night because we learned the next day that there's a a, a, a small chain link fence ma- uh, built around the Porsche on the base. And Tim Reed's character, Lieutenant Colonel Clark, says, well, who did this? It's like, well, it's like two in the morning. The colonel had the, the ready alert squad install it, which is really not what you have a ready alert squad for, you know, installing fences. You know, they're kind of there yeah. to, you know, they're an emergency force. You don't put them on construction duty, but I'm guessing he was still but pretty drunk when he ordered it. Well, and he's, he's worried about retaliation at, at this point now, right? And if, yeah. if his... If his uh, compatriot there learns that he, how much he loves that car, his car is a target. Yeah, which funny you should mention for the very next scene is him returning <laughs> to the border with his Jeep. And 
it gets blown up by an RPG. And he he has to walk back to base. And the MP looks at him and says, uh, you're listed as missing. He says, do I look missing? Like, <laughs> you know, he's such a dick. Like, he's a dick to everyone. But I got to be honest, I'm, I'm a little confused as why the MP had a helmet that instead of saying MP said UP. I'm not sure what UP stands for. Uh, like, it's something police. I Yeah, I, gotta, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Look. I mean, I, not that I can find it easily, but whatever. It's it's kind of weird. Uh, I'm not sure what the deal is, but in any case, the MP, who's a UP, he, uh, <laughs> you know, he sort of, what's he going to do? The colonel just walks right on by him. The uh, lieutenant colonel comes to him, says, well, dude, where the hell you been? It's like, I was out walking and, you know, we found a Jeep and it was on fire. And yeah, that night he digs another six feet into his grave. And this time... <laughs> he does. Like, this is an act of war. Like, it's a flat-out act of war. Oh, yes. Um, Straight up. You know, he sneaks to a border patrol tower, which is exactly what you think. It is just a standard wooden tower, like a firewatch tower you'd see in a forest. He sets it on fire. The two guys in it are forced to jump, you know, to their, you know, to jump to safety. That's a pretty high tower, and I honestly think had they actually jumped, they would have, if not been killed would have broken a bunch of bones. Yeah. There's, like it's, there's only so much tuck and roll gets you. Yeah. And they shoot back at him this time, as I recall. I think they fire RPGs at him in, this time around. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah well, uh, yeah. So he crawls back home. And the next time he goes out, because at this point, like, oh, that's right. No, it's on his way back in. Like, he doesn't even get back. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Clark has gone into his bedroom where there is a where there is a soldier waiting in Colonel Knowles cabin and Knowles hasn't been there all night. So at this point, the lieutenant colonel has other soldiers checking on his commanding officer in the middle of the night to make sure he didn't wander off. Yeah, like, that's uh, that's reassuring. Yeah, that's really reassuring. Like, that's the point where you say, sir, I judge you incapable of, you know, of behaving rationally. I am relieving you of command. I'm sorry. In the meantime, he's sort of making his way back. Knowles is making his way back to the border and he comes across a woman who, uh, who is Czech. And at this point as well, Valachev is out there hunting for him. He shoots at Knowles and this girl, they run off and eventually they hide in that, in that same barn from before he takes this girl to a, uh, a hotel and in the meantime, the colonel receives Knowles' file, which I'm guessing is like a KGB file or something. So now he knows exactly what Knowles is all about, which I found kind of interesting. Knowles goes and meets him again at the, at the, the bar at the bottom of the hotel and essentially says, sorry, you're on your own. Can't help you, which I found interesting. Like now he's decided he's gone too far. Yeah. Holding the drunken gunpoint birthday party. That wasn't too far. Setting fire no, no. to the uh, to the to the to the post and and probably severely injuring three soldiers that wasn't too far, but helping a woman get back across the border that's too far. Oh, you know? that, that's <laughs> oh, that's risky. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Well, what it is is apparently she runs a student newspaper. She's part of the resistance, blah blah blah, and she has a daughter that she wants to get because her mom can't look after her anymore because she's sick. Okay, whatever. If there's anyone who actually believes this is. You know, not a setup, but okay. We go back to the <laughs> Russians and yeah, we go, we go back to the Russians and they're, what's it? Sorry, go ahead. So yeah, she, she might as well have had her black widow outfit on underneath her t-shirt. Yeah, pretty much. You know, well, I mean, let's be honest. 
she's chosen to be the spy, not just because she's a Soviet captain. It's because she's a honeypot trap. She's young and pretty. Yeah. It wasn't going to be Olga the Tundra Wookiee. You know, it was going to be some young hot thing. That's, you know, he chose, uh, you know, Valachev chose someone well. And yeah, she looks like a young student and she's pretty and he's a loser. And I'm not sure he ever, like, he never seems to suggest anything sexual with her. I, that never seems to cross his mind. But at the same time, it's pretty clear why he was cho- she was chosen. Oh, yeah. In, yeah. In the meantime, they go back to, we go back to, you know, to the Russian side and we see that some of uh, Valachev's officers are watching an American football game and they said, these Americans are so stupid. They have to stop between uh, plays to have a conference. <laughs> Valachev shakes his head and said, but the girls are coming. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm guessing it's like a big so... game because, yeah, it's to- totally subtle. But let's be honest, this is the way male soldiers talk, sadly. Oh, no, so, I, I, meant, I, meant the, I meant the foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm familiar with male soldiers. Yeah, um, yeah. I've, I've met a few of them. You've met many more than I, but, uh, and I think I was one once upon a time a thousand years ago. I yeah. think that's how we met. Something and, like that. Yeah. Yeah, we go back to the American camp, and they're watching the game as well. And the general arrives in a helicopter. He goes and he bitches out Knowles, and he, you know, he gives them that begat speech. But pretty much it's, dude, your career is over. It's interesting that it took all these things to get the general to pull the plug on him. In reality, after that first patrol, he would have been, that would have been it. It would have been over. It would have said, you know, pack your bags. You clearly aren't up to it. Off you go. So Knowles knows he's, well, screwed. So he goes back to the hotel to help out this woman. He's decided, and he sees her chatting up this young private. He essentially chases off the private, drags her back to her bedroom and says, okay, I'll sort you out. He goes back down to the pub and everyone's sitting really stiffly. You look to the left and there's Valachev who says, you know, you've come to visit me so many times. I thought it was my turn. I also <laughs> like, but I actually like this scene. This is a good one. Um, yeah. You know, movies like this are always at their most interesting when the good guys and bad guys are forced to talk to each other as opposed to beat each other up or shoot at each other. Did you ever see a 90s movie called Heat? Mm, maybe. Robert it's, De Niro, Al Pacino. Yeah, so Robert. Yeah, Robert De Niro plays a high stakes bank thief, or just a thief, really. And Pacino plays the head of. Essentially, he hunts bank robbers in Los Angeles. It's this incredible movie with this massive cast. Val Kilmer's in it, it's like a bunch of big names. And the very best scene in the entire movie is when Pacino's police character pulls De Niro's crook character over and says, "Want to go get a coffee?" And they sit across from each other in a coffee shop and have this conversation. And no one's worried that they're going to start shooting. It's just a conversation between two guys who have given everything to the job. And neither of them really has anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, actually, Natalie Portman's in that movie, too. She plays Pacino's daughter. It was one of her first roles. And it's the same thing. It's just like this really tense moment. But it's better than this one. Because here, Valachev's waving a gun around. Yeah. But oh, these sorts of scenes. Yes. I liked Valachev in this scene, like a lot. I did too, right up until he started getting demeaning with the woman. He drags her down. She's in her in her lingerie. He makes her you know, wipe his boots. I don't care that it's an act and that yeah. she's a respected fellow officer. I don't need to see shit like that in movies. Yeah, it, it, that it's, again, it added nothing. No, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. It added nothing at all. 
I mean, there were plenty of ways, like if he, like, yeah, he's playing the whole thing. Oh, you're, you know, you're his Czechoslovakian whore and all that sort of shit. The whole scene, like, yes, the whole point is to push Noel's buttons by abusing her to, for, to, to, you know, to push him over the edge. So he will come back across the border and, and Valachev can either kill him or arrest him or whatever. But did they have to get sexually demeaning? Like, welcome yeah, to the 80s. Yeah, they didn't again. have to go there. Yeah. Because one of the one of the most demeaning things he does to Knowles is he pours beer on him, not on his head, just on his uniform. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, it's just it's it's a disrespect, that's, right? That's yeah, like that's 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 getting really really rude. It's not uh, smashing him over the head or spitting on him or something. He just pours beer on his epaulets on his rank, and yeah. that to me is more of a genuine fuck you than. You know, she's your Czechoslovakian whore. Why don't you lick my boots? It's like, eh, really? Yeah, like, yeah, everyone there knew that she wasn't. Like, it, it yeah. Well, just, apparently, just except no. Knowles. Well, remember, they, they point out later, that like, he points out later that uh, he didn't realize that she was a spy until he called her a Czechoslovakian whore. And he said, how would you have known she's Czechoslovakian? But that seems to me really silly because it could just as easily have been that she was who she said she was and he had a file and a picture of her. Yeah, he would have known who she was. They were chasing yeah. her. Yeah. So, that, that, so yeah. yeah, it's so she sneaks. He sneaks her across the border. She says, "Okay, I'm just gonna." You know, she hides in a church. I think it is. She gets in her car and drives off to pick up her daughter. But we see, you know, there's like a cute little scene where we see a bunch of kids ice skating, and she walks past them, past them. You keep waiting for her to grab a daughter, but instead she goes to do a building where Valachev is shock of shocks waiting. We go back to Stuttgart, where the general is talking to Lieutenant Colonel Clark and says, yeah, you're in charge. I'll promote you. Good enough. We go back to Valachev, and now we know she is a captain in the Soviet Army. They're driving along, and who's hiding in the back seat? Knowles, under a, a blanket or something. And I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how he got yeah. into that vehicle. Like, she left him in an abandoned church. She walked yeah. through an empty field to get into a car. She didn't notice... Knowles creeping up behind her and jumping into the car as she opened the door. Like what? Uh, I, it's quantum. Like quantum. Like Jerry Pratchett said, it's, it's all quantum. It's all quantum. Let's go with that. But that's just, that's such a stupid plot hole. That's another one of those. It's in the missing 15 minutes. Yeah. Anyway, they play chicken with the car, drive through the border. They crash. Valachev, who of course has an AK-47 with him with a grenade launcher, chases Knowles. There's a lot of explosions. There's a big fight. Both the Russians and the Americans send their forces out. They line up on other sides of a river while these two beat the shit out of each other. It's worth noting that in this fight, Roy Scheider broke a bunch of ribs and Jurgen Prochnow dislocated his knee. <laughs> awesome. This is what happens when you film in heavy snow. You know, it's, it's um, minus 40 in the, in the middle of winter in the country in Alberta. You're going to get hurt. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like this is, I mean, as we just saw, you know, the, the tragic accident with Alec Baldwin, even in, even when there's no weather conditions, bad shit happens. If you're not careful, there's a reason why most movies are filmed in the summer or in the fall. Like they're not filmed in the dead of freaking winter in Alberta. When I when I was still a tech, we we used to have the saying that that winter makes everything harder. Absolutely, 
you know, I can't think of one thing we did in the winter in the military, you know, when, when our, you know, we used to go out and do the up tent, down tent. Everything gets harder in the winter. You are more tired. You make more. Like I found that, you know, we as medics made more mistakes in like more training mistakes in the winter than we did in the summer because we're so goddamn tired romping and tromping through Wainwright in knee deep snow. Your, your, your clothes are heavy. The snow is in the way. The equipment is cold. Everything is stiff. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're breathing heavier, and you know the the sun is. For those who don't live this far north, you don't get a lot of sunlight in Alberta in the winter. You know, and the uh, air is so dry; it's ripping the moisture out of you. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy winter. I like it. I like I like winter sports, but it it makes everything harder. Yeah, and once again, there is no reason like. This is one of the few times where winter is used and then that there's a point where they're fighting on the river and he winds up under the ice and then he like bursts out through it like some, you know, some bad Schwarzenegger action film. It was very, very silly. And then there's a point right near the end where the, you know, the, the soldiers are all aiming at each other and the two helicopters are just sort of hovering. And I can't help but think that two helicopters hovering that low to the ground, no one would be able to stand. <laughs> You know, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. You know, there was no wind. From yeah, it, it, it was hilarious. But it's clear they filmed the scene, so I'm not sure how they pulled that off. No, no one idea. lost their hat. No one was moving around because I've been under a Chinook helicopter, and they, those they puppies were porta potties. That was awesome. I have pictures of that somewhere. Blew over Great. all the porta potties, and, and I'm we're sitting there, and I said to someone, "You know, someone really ought to go over there and check and make sure no one's in there because they blew forward on top of their their doors." And I remember thinking, <laughs> "I don't, I don't think you said it to me, but I heard you say it." Yeah, and they're sort of looking at me, and I'm looking at the master corporal's like, "No, I'm serious." <laughs> Someone yeah. may be trapped in there. So everyone, so a bunch of he sent a bunch of guys to pull them over. Thank God there was no one in there. Because I'll tell you what, if I had been one of those blue port, one of those blue rockets with those that nasty blue, you know, oh, sanitation yeah. goo, had I come out of there, I think I would have just stepped into the the rotor blades. But, or the or the or the stream, you know, there's options. Yeah, I guess. But um, yeah, this is this this story is totally stinging. But yeah, it's just the whole scene. It came out like someone who'd never spent a moment in the military or near a helicopter who said, "Yeah, man, they're all gonna line up and aim their laser pointers at each other, yeah. and the two helicopters will hover there. They'll be so fucking awesome." And I just oh, man. the grunting just, was killing me. Oh, the whole thing. The fight was stupid. These two old guys beating the snot out of each other in a frozen river and in the snow, and it was just. And then and you, you get more of the sorry. Go ahead. Ever, it, it went way too long. Have you ever been in a fight? Yes, a like, few of them. They, they, um, they don't last that long. You they get, really don't. You get tired yeah. way before that. Yeah, like especially if you were soaking wet in a freezing cold river, this would have been this fight would have been over in thirty seconds. Let alone, it goes for a good two minutes. And the only yeah. reason they stop is they can see the red dots on each other's faces. And, you know, then they go back to the voiceover of, of the general's testimony, which we started with at the beginning. It's like they gave everything they had. They fought for all they were worth. I get they're trying to be subversive that these guys are not the awesome heroes that the, the trailer made them out to be. But it ends with a general who very clearly still thinks they're, that Knowles is a pretty cool guy. The conceit of any story is... That the characters learn something by the end of it? Nope. 
Not in this one. There was Not zero growth. No one grows at all. No one learns anything. They don't stop because they realize it's pointless. They stop because they realize they're five seconds away from starting World War III, which leads to the quote of, you know, from Albert Einstein, which is, you know, when asked what will World War III, what weapons will World War III be fought with? And he says, I don't know, but the fourth war will be fought with sticks and stone. So they didn't even get the, the quote right. But no, uh, yeah, it's... You know, I get it. The writers put that in because they thought they were being really goddamn profound, but it turns out they weren't being. So uh, I hate you, Heather, because you've made me like this movie less. I, but I, I apologize. I, did, I, I, I didn't mean to spoil your fun. But I'll tell you what, I still recommend it because I still think it's an interesting film. For all of its flaws, it has some interesting ideas which are not well-developed. But both of these actors, I mean, we haven't, re- we haven't, as much as Knowles is an idiot and or a, a loser, and, and, and Valachev has clearly some problems with being, you know, double dog dared, they're both well acted parts. They you are. know, like the actors Roy Scheider, are still phenomenal. Yeah, yeah like Roy Scheider. He's, yeah. he's always been great. And we've done him before. He was in 2010, the year we make contact, which I think was actually the first pandemic episode we did over Skype. I think I did that with Adam. He's a great actor. And Jurgen Proch now is a good actor. Tim Reed doesn't really get a chance to do much, but he's good. Harry Dean Stanton is good, even if his character is stupid. Like, just like, how did he get to be a general making decisions like that? But it's well acted. I think it's well filmed. It looks good. Again, choosing to to film in the winter was just dumb. And especially when they, they must have seen the forecast and said, Okay, we're set up here, you know, we're ready to start moving in the equipment and, you know, the the actors and whatnot. But hey, boss, it's 40 below here. Maybe we should not do this in the winter. Well, minus minus 40 shit breaks. Minus 30? I can work. I know how. I've got the kit. I've got the skill. Minus minus 40? No chance. Minus 40 shit breaks. I wonder how much money, like how, how much budget was over budget like we just we need to spend more money on cold weather gear for the for the crew oops we broke a camera you know yeah, it's, it's that might be the difference between the 15 it, it's possible i mean i i have i have trouble imagining seven million dollars in, in, in like in 1988 especially in calgary but you know it's, it's just interesting that this movie presents well up front and yet mm-hmm. 77 or $700,000 or whatever it was on opening weekend. Yeah, because it came up against Hunt for Red October. Anyway, yeah. so I'm guessing you wouldn't recommend this movie to anyone except people you hate. Um, not even them. No, this is, uh, don't, don't even bother. Go, go see something else. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, seriously. You know, it's a B movie. Go out. Go outside. Go for a walk. In. No, I like some B movies. Go for a walk instead. Your time will be better spent. Yeah, you know, I I liked this movie until I talked to you, and but you're right. You've kind of convinced me, uh, especially as we go through it. Not the first time I've gone through a movie, broken it down, and talked about it with you. When I realized, yeah, this movie isn't what I thought it was, and yeah, so should you watch it? Uh, depends how much you're in love with Cold War movies, but there's so many better ones out there about almost wars. And certainly when you look at the movie this one came up against, which is, you know, <laughs> Hunt for Red October, go see that one instead. Um, that one totally stands up. So, yeah. My recommendation, so, 
Go see the other one. <laughs> Go see the other one, yeah. And I think we'll just leave it there. <laughs>